0: You're listening to petliferadio.com
1: Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest is the star of Nat Geo Wild's The Incredible Dr. Pole. And he's a new author now. He's got a great new book out called Never Turn Your Back on an Angus Cow. So we're excited to have Dr. Pohl on with us today. We're going to uh, talk to him a little bit about the book, talk to him a little bit about animals, of course, and uh, talk to him about the whole writing process. So everybody, just hang tight. We're going to come right back with Dr. Pohl. You're listening to The Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Welcome back! Welcome back to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. And joining me now is the star of Nat Geo hit TV series, The Incredible Dr. Pole. Dr. Pole himself is on the line. Dr. Pole, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having
0: me, Tim. How are you?
1: I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing out there today?
0: Not bad at all. Thank you.
1: Good, good. So, uh, congratulations on the new book. Tell us a little bit about uh, "Never Turn Your Back on an Angus Cow."
0: Well, if you ever work with animals, you know that you really have to be able to know what they're doing and how they're doing. And if you turn your back on a cow, you lose contact. And things happen sometimes that are not very nice if you turn your back.
1: That's right. I mean, on any animal, you don't want to turn your back on them because, A, that's rude. And, B, you never know what you're going to get on the backside. Isn't that true?
0: Exactly right. Exactly right. In my book, it tells you... I think about the story when I was in college when we had uh, three tigers in a cage, and the veterinarian that was with us, he he showed us how uh, things happen when uh, you can walk up to them and they don't do anything. You turn your back, and I thought the front of the cage was coming off.
1: There you go. And did he give an explanation why that is? That's because when you look at an
0: animal... They don't think that you are actually threatening them, but, hey, they take the easy way out. If you look at them, they figure that you know what they're going to do.
1: You don't look at them, then you're easy prey. Ah, so they turn back. So when you're looking at them face to face, you're having that connection with them, and their uh, their guard yeah. is sort of level. Not you know, guard is down, and they're not uh, worrying about any uh, anything you right. may do. Right. I was
0: working with a uh, rodeo outfit in my practice for many years, and to be honest with you, I learned a lot over there. And uh, you no, know, these bulls, these rodeo bulls. They live in the life of Riley. You know, all they have to do is work a little bit, eight seconds to get the cowboy off their back. But you had to read those animals because if you were, you know, you it was not safe to go in the pen with them. You had to look at them because the minute you turned your back, they would just charge and run over you.
1: That's very interesting. And you think it's because that's just their nature, or is it more of the fact that uh, they're in an environment where they know that? Uh, they need to get rid of the person that's in the uh, in the uh, corral or the stall with them. Yeah.
0: Actually, they were taught to get rid of the person, period. <laughs> they
1: actually are trained. So it doesn't matter if you're on top of them or beside them or uh, wherever it may be. Their goal is to get you yeah. out of there as fast as possible.
0: That's exactly right. I'll tell you, you you stay close to the gates or the fence so you can hop over when they come at you.
1: There you go. And never wear but red. That,
0: that, <laughs> I don't know if they're colorblind or not. It doesn't make much difference. I think they can't understand who's, what a human is. You know, he stands up straight on two legs. That's the guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so go after him. Where he's dressed up as a clown or in red, it doesn't matter. Just go after him.
0: It doesn't make any difference.
1: So is there a, a funny story around this particular uh, title, Never Turn Your Back on an Angus Cow? Have you had a, uh, close encounters with Angus Cows?
0: yeah. Actually, in the first episode of this new show that started, we had to pull a calf on a, an Angus heifer. And uh, you can see how wild they are. You know, many times I do not put them in a chute when they try to pull a calf because I don't want them falling down in there. So they're in a the pen. But many times you have to put two ropes on these animals in order to uh, quiet them down enough to work on them.
1: And so you fasten the ropes onto people hold on to the well, ropes or they fasten them down? Yeah, nice you,
0: you know, you put, yeah, you put a rope around the neck and then tie it to the fence. And many times that's not enough because these ropes are nylon. They stretch a little bit and they are not very easy to uh, really tighten them up. So actually you put two ropes on them, cross I them as you could call them, so they uh, really do not uh, flip back and forth that much.
1: So it holds them stable long enough for you to go in and, and do your work.
0: Yes, yeah. And once you start pulling, you know, and you can see that it was last Saturday on the the first show of the the next season here, where once you start pulling and you know they are busy pushing the calf out, then they'll be quiet. But until you get everything in place and start pulling, they uh, are not very tame.
1: Ah, so do they still? Yeah, understatement. I I can imagine. So so um, do they feel uh, at that point, do they feel threatened or are they just unsure about what you're going to do until you get them in place and get them calmed down?
0: No, they never calm down. It is just that you have confined or tied up good enough that you can work on them, but the minute you take the ropes off, you better be uh, prepared to go over the
1: fence very fast. Ah, got you. So you have the the upper hand on them for a short period of time until you get that calf out, and then uh, then you better get out of there pretty quick.
0: Exactly right. Many beef farmers, you know, they will have to, when a calf is born, they have to do something to the calf, vaccinate it, put an ear tag in. And I know farmers that actually come with what they call a round bale feeder. It's a metal contraption where they put those big round hay bales in, and they carry it on the front of the tractor, put it over the calf so that they can climb in. They put an ear tag in the calf and vaccinate it, and then climb back over and pick it up because mom is on the outside trying to get in and get to them. And another show that was also where uh, I had to work on a calf, and that was inside the pen, and the, the mother was on the other side, the cow was on the other side, and she was just banging the gates trying to get to the calf and protect it.
1: Now, after all these years of doing this, does that still uh, heighten your senses, or are you sort of immune to it now, knowing what she's going to likely do?
0: No, you're never immune to it, except that uh, <laughs> because they always will, will do something different. So you have to watch them. Very closely. The main thing is, you know, I am at least knowing that I can expect the unexpected, and you're prepared
1: for that. Because if you let your guard down at any time, that's when all the trouble starts, I would assume. That's
0: exactly right. Yes.
1: Now, you've worked with uh, obviously uh, all kinds of farm animals and uh, domestic animals. I mean, I I won't ask you to list them because we'd have a two hour show (laughs) instead of our normal ones. Yeah. But is it. But there is, a, looking back at all these years of working with the animals, is there an important lesson that you've learned from the animals? If you had to pick one lesson that you've learned from them, which would it be?
0: Yes. The main thing is when you come up to a strange animal, do not come up and reach for them. And it can be a cat, a dog, a cow, a horse. It doesn't make any difference if they don't know you. And you walk up to them and reach for them, that is already threatening for them. So the main thing is just walk up to them, let your hands hang by your side, and let them smell you. It only takes five seconds. And they say, okay, that's a human, but he's fine. And then you can touch him and then you can work with them.
1: So always let them approach you and make sure that they, you get the, uh, sort of the paws up or the hoofs up sign, the thumbs up. Yes. And uh, once yes. they know you're okay and you're not threatening them, then, then you're good to go.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, I think it's good advice because it's natural when you're seeing an animal, especially if you have a love for animals, which uh, I do and you do, of course. It's natural to reach your hand forward, just like shaking a person's hand. You're reaching your hand for the animal first.
0: Yes, and that is many times not the right thing to do. They have to come up to you and smell you. And then when they actually say, okay, you're fine, then you can just either squat down and pet them or reach out. It all depends how big they are, but let them do the first smell introduction or whatever, and then you can work with them.
1: That's good advice. Good advice. So let's talk a little bit about the book, Uh, Never Turn Your Back on an Angus Cow, My Life as a Country Vet. What inspired you to write the book?
0: That was the show because the show was such a huge success that many people told me, you should write a book. You should write a book. So, that's what we did.
1: You wrote a book. (laughs) Nice and simple, and it makes sense, because the show is very successful. So, congratulations on that, and we're going to talk after the break. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Season 4 coming up here after the break. But how was the experience of writing a book? Because this is your first memoir, first book, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. How was that whole experience as far as writing it, you know, putting it together, telling your story? I know it was co-written by uh, with David Fisher. Right. How was that process? David, did you enjoy it or the challenges? Well,
0: yeah. David Fisher is an author out of New York that has had many bestsellers on the New York list. And uh, he saw the show and he thought that it was very interesting if uh, he could actually, but he did. He came out and he let me talk in the tape recorder for about 25 hours. And he says, that's enough. And so the book is written like I am telling it without the accent. Right. <laughs> but, but uh, yes. So, yes, he actually typed it up while I sat there and just you know, talked in the tape recorder.
1: Amazing. And how long was that process? Because I'm assuming you obviously didn't talk for 25 hours straight. Did it take days or weeks or months to put it all together? That was five days. Five days. That is amazing. Yes. And so you talked to yeah, the recorder? But, you know, it, yeah, I was talking the recorder,
0: 25 hours over five days. And then, uh, you know, we went back and forth a couple of times with, you know, we, yeah, this is uh, different and that's different. And uh, finally, that's how the book came out.
1: Wow, that's, a, that's an amazing process. Did you find that uh, fascinating to do that or was it more just like having a conversation? How did you find that whole process?
0: The whole process was just very enjoyable because, you know, I started remembering the olden things, what we did way long ago. And yes, the book goes back and forth, you know, from a long time ago to almost today. And uh, in that way, it, I think it's fascinating that it's not just a, a storytelling of what happened a long time ago. It touches everything from the beginning, actually even before because uh, my sister and my uh, brother were here at that time, and they were telling stories about me that I don't remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I hope they're all good and kind stories, not uh, <laughs> sibling stories.
0: Right. No, they're a little bit funny in the beginning, but yes, they story stories, a little bit of everything. You know, our job is not always very funny and nice. There's a lot of sad things, too.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, we're going to uh, take a quick commercial break uh, and then come back and continue our conversation with the incredible Dr. Pohl. After these messages, everybody hang tight. You're listening to the Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio.
0: Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to the Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm here with the incredible Dr. Pohl talking to him about his latest book, Never Turn Your Back on an Angus Cow. Now, Dr. Pohl, uh, let's switch gears a little bit because we have season four of the show, The Incredible Dr. Pohl Show, coming on. First of all, tell the audience a little bit about how the show came about in the first place.
0: Well, that's another thing. I've been a veterinarian already for 44 years now. I graduated from the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands, and that was basically a large animal school at that time. When we wanted to do small animal, we had to take extra courses, and there was no room to become a veterinarian in the Netherlands. So I came over here, and then Charles did not want to follow my footsteps. He wanted to become a movie producer. And he went to the film school in Miami, went to L.A., and, yes, then the writer's strike happened and everything like that. So he came back five years ago, and he said, Dad, we should make a reality show about you. And I thought, yeah, right. Who wants to watch me doing all this dirty work? <laughs> so I told him, "He said, why, why me? He says, well, he says, you are a character. Thanks, Charles. You are doing a large animal, and you are... In the heartland of America, right in the middle of Michigan, mm-hmm. he said those things are probably something that people would want to like to see, and that's what happened.
1: And that's what happened. So from there, you guys just did a, uh, I'm assuming, did a little video, a, a pilot, a reel, and sent it. Yeah. Uh, made the connections, and next thing you know, you got a show.
0: Yeah, Charles uh, came out with three friends and a filmer, and they had actually 27 hours of taping and made a four-minute DVD. And that, uh, that was the sizzle that they took around and went to different networks, and then Nat Geo Wild picked it up.
1: There you go. That's amazing. Now, the whole process of the show today, I know you just mentioned that just to do the sizzle reel, four-minute sizzle reel, took 27 hours of taping. How long does it take now with the show to – how many hours of taping do you have to do before you have an episode?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. I never realized how that worked either. But you know, when we come to the clinic in the morning, everybody gets uh, a mic on, and that is you know wireless, of course. And you don't see the mics, but we carry them with us all day long, and they film just about anything and everything that is of interest. So I figure that uh, between the GoPros and the expensive cameras, they get between 120 to 180 hours of taping a week, and they use 40 minutes. Wow. There's a lot of things that you see in the, in the show, but there's a lot more going around it that you don't see.
1: That's right. And I don't think people realize that because there's a lot that goes into putting together one of these productions. And that's just per episode. They have to do this for, for multiple correct. episodes for the whole year. Yeah.
0: That, yeah, yeah. And they, they end up actually one episode per week.
1: So with the process of you putting on the, uh, the cameras and the microphones and everything, at that point, does it seem to be that you and your staff just go through your normal paces or is it a matter of you start to do your normal work and they stop you in the middle of it to ask a question or to have you positioned differently? How does that process
0: work? No, no, nothing of that is going on. We do our normal work. They film in it. Yes, they will try to get the people that bring animals to the clinic outside and get the the go-ahead that they can film. Inside, we do everything normal like we used to. And then afterwards, they interview the owners again. Then at night, after all the work is done, they put us what they call in the hot seat where they start asking questions about what we did, and that's sometimes six weeks ago or more. Do you remember that case? <laughs> Not really. Okay, refresh your memory. Okay. Oh, yeah, now we remember. Okay, can we talk about that? Yep, go ahead. It takes a long time for an episode to get ready.
1: Wow. And so once the episode's out there and you have a chance to take a look at it, how does that hit you? How did that hit you when you first started, saw your very first episode? Were you amazed or were you like, oh, my God, I can't believe they filmed that? Or,
0: <laughs> Yeah, some of that. You know, Oh, my gosh, did you get that? Or why didn't they use that? And, uh, yes, you know, I've learned a lot better to talk in, in straight sentences and everything because before, before that, they were asking the question and he said, Yep, no, yes, no, 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 you got to answer it in a sentence. Okay, that's how you have to do it. So, yes, you know, I think the filming has, uh, done quite a bit better through the years, but basically the, the, the things that they see is still the same. And no, there are no retakes.
1: So it's all uh, live action, and uh, if you don't do it the right way or you don't come out looking the best, it doesn't matter. If they're going to take the best sections and put it all together.
0: Right? You know, like I said, uh, I've said many times. You know, when I have to pull a calf, I'm not putting it back in the cow for the second take. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. exactly. And, yeah, and, and be- yeah, and yeah, nothing is scripted either. You know, we we don't have to learn our lines. So everybody just says, "Oh, you're a movie star." I says, "No, I'm not. I don't have to learn my lines."
1: That's right. You're just doing your job as normal, and uh, they're just having to film it all and putting it all out there for the rest of us to see. Yes. So what can uh, people expect out of Season 4? Are there any new uh, twists or turns or uh, any exciting things uh, that you can mention for they're this all,
0: Yeah. For the American public, there's always exciting things because you work with uh, the farm animals an awful lot. And uh, this is what is nice because it brings the, the farm back into the American living room, and I think that is very important. But you see in the next shows, yes, a little bit of all animals, you know, castration, sick animals. I don't know exactly what they're using, but it's a little bit of everything.
1: And I was going to ask you, when you uh, decided to come to the United States, how did you end up in Michigan? Did you have family there, or was there an opportunity, or how did that come about?
0: Well, in the book, it explains it a little bit. My sister left for Canada in 1955, and I was by far the youngest so I wanted to get away from my parents so they wouldn't have to take care of me for a year so they could come to Canada. Well, on the, if you have North America on one page in the Atlas in the Netherlands, then Michigan and Ontario is very close together. Mm-hmm. Yes. I didn't look at the scale, of course. <laughs> uh, but so, yes, there was a chance to become a uh, exchange student to Michigan. And that was at the time the Michigan Council of Churches that is now the Youth for Understanding. And uh, when I came to Michigan, I came to Mayfield, where Diane was, and uh, then when I went back to the Netherlands, the first thing they told us, you want to become a veterinarian, that is fine, but if you want to practice, forget it. We were sitting with 300 people in a room built for 100, and uh, everybody wanted to become a veterinarian, but out of the dozen friends that you have in college, there's only two that got into a practice. And I'm one of them. And uh, so I thought I was going to go to Australia and New Zealand, but Diane and I kept writing. And when we got married, about six years after we met, we uh, came back to Michigan.
1: Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. And even though the, I agree with you, I grew up in Indiana, so I'm an original Midwestern uh, boy myself. And yes. I live in uh, Georgia now, and there's plenty of farms and horse farms and things of that sort around here. But you don't see them that often. I mean, it, it, and you don't have exposure to them, I would say. A majority of the people don't have exposure to them like it used to be.
0: No, you got to get off the highways. you know, you got to go through the order and to see all that. And, you know, most people go through Georgia to Florida, so they always stayed on the highways, you know. <laughs>
1: that, that's right. That's right. So they got to get out and see a little bit more of it. That's absolutely yes. true. Yeah. And I always find it fascinating, especially when you're talking about farm animals. I, you know, I've lived around farms and worked with farms and worked with uh, farm animals myself for quite a while. And uh, it's a different type of uh, connection, a different type of work. And like you said, so in the, in the book, you know, a lot of this is the farm animals are not the pets. They're the livelihood of the farmers.
0: Right, right. You know, but there again, you know, in all my clients, because I worked uh, in a couple different practices, we started this practice 31 years ago here in Waitman. I have only had one farmer that really was beating his cows, and I got in his face, and he was a lot bigger than I was, but I didn't care, and I told him off. I said, "If you don't quit yelling and screaming at these cows, I'll leave the farm." And he quieted right down, thank goodness. I didn't know what I had to do if he didn't. But uh, then again, six months later, he was out of business. If you mistreat these large animals, they don't work for you. A cow will not give milk, a horse will not work for you. And we have a lot of armies in the clinic, in the, in the practice yet, and they use horses. If you mistreat them, you get accidents. And uh, that's why, you know, the farmers that I have been working with take care of the cows. And many times what I've said is that, you know, animals like this need safety, comfort, shelter, and food. But shelter is first. So everything should be about the same thing. They don't like changes. The cow likes to live in its own freestyle many times. And, you know, so they get always shelter and food, and that's how they are happy.
1: Yeah, I think it makes sense, and that I would say stands true for all animals. You know, keep their routines yes, the same, feed them, shelter yep. them, give them some love and attention. Even if they're a working animal, give them the same type of respect and attention, and they'll respond. Yes, yes yeah. they do. Yeah, I think those are good words, good methods to follow. Because uh, yeah, I think it's that way in general. It's the same thing with people. Keep, you know, we have basic needs. Keep our routines pretty much the same, and treat with kindness, and you're going to get positive results.
0: Yes, and animals will tell you, and especially your dog, because you know, you're so close with them all the time, if you look at them and listen to them, an animal can really bring across what it would like to have you do. Now, that sounds funny, but yes... That doesn't mean that you have to do every whim and everything, because that's how Cesar Milan got his business, not treating animals, but uh, educating humans. You know, sometimes the animals are smarter than humans, and they get away with too many things. But if you can train your dog, the dog will train you, and you have a very good relationship together for the rest of his life.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, they are definitely uh, they definitely will communicate with you. You just have to open your oh, heart. Yeah your mind to it and uh, make that connection with them and i I think that's absolutely true Uh, that's how i work in with my consulting work i do with people in the animals and sanctuaries and animals and uh, that's the way we do it we communicate one-on-one listen to what they have to say and do everything you can to have a uh, you present them with a great life and they'll uh, do the same for you they'll reward
0: you absolutely
1: good words all right. Well, Dr. Pohl, well, we're excited to have you on the show today. And everybody, uh, pick up a copy of the book, Never Turn Your Back on Angus Cow: My Life as a Country Vet, with uh, the incredible Dr. Pohl. You can go to his website also, t h e d r p o l T-H-E-D-R-P-O-L.com, and learn and keep up with him and friend him on Facebook. And we're excited to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for uh, the great book. Congratulations on that. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank
0: you very much, Tim. And thank you and good luck to all the animals.
1: There you go. Thanks so much. We're coming to the end of the show today. So I want to thank everybody for listening to the Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. i also like to thank our sponsors and producers for making the show possible. Uh, to find out more about me, Tim Link, and other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, you can visit petliferadio.com and click on the Animal Rights icon and download the episodes and listen to your favorite authors, writers, and bloggers. And while you're there, make sure you check out all the other wonderful hosts and shows on Pet Life Radio. That's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions for me or comments or ideas for the show, you can email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. That's Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. And I'll be glad to answer your questions, uh, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to see the most onto the show. So uh, until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, an article, or in a book. And who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's talk pets every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.